I know that uh, Pastor Dirk has already highlighted our devotional, but I'd also like to say there is a sign-up uh, for the devotional. If you want a copy of the devotional, you'll have to sign up for it. Uh, Lisa Clark is the author of this devotional. She'll be our guide through Lent. Uh, myself and Pastor Dirk will be preaching the ser sermon series on Eyes on Jesus. And then Lisa Clark will be uh, your guide during the 40 days of Lent, a devotion. Uh, scripture reading and a devotion for uh, each day, uh, starting Ash Wednesday and all the way through until Easter. So if you're interested in getting one of these devotionals, they're only $5. You simply put that $5 into the offering plate. We're going to sell these or provide these for you on the honor system. Uh, so just go ahead and place the money in the offering and then you can go ahead and sign up for one and then you can receive one of these devotionals. So the, the entire uh, season of Lent is gonna be an opportunity really for us to, uh, to take time to reflect upon what Christ has done for us, to put our eyes, to fix our eyes on Jesus, uh, the one who was the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, he laid his life down for us. And traditionally the season of Lent is just simply an opportunity uh, for us to, to, maybe, uh, to maybe give up something. You probably heard of the, of the Lenten discipline of maybe fasting, giving something up. If you like donuts like I do, maybe it's giving up donuts every day. Uh, maybe it's giving up your favorite uh, pastime. Maybe you enjoy binging on Netflix or something like that. Giving something up and then taking that time, taking that time to read God's word and to pray, maybe giving up a meal, maybe giving up something that you enjoy doing and focusing that time, that time upon preparing your hearts uh, for the, the season of Easter. So we do invite you to join with us as we go on this Lenten uh, journey. There's also opportunities for uh, Vespers services, uh, sermons that'll be preached, and then our daily devotional, and also a prayer calendar. We also have a prayer calendar available for kids also. So you can pick up those prayer calendars for kids at the Welcome Center. Well, we welcome you here in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm Pastor Adam, and today we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 16. We're really going to be covering almost all of chapter 16. We are emphasizing prayer at Maple Park Church. This sermon series right now, this is actually the last sermon in it, is entitled Pray First. Pray First. Uh, we entitled this sermon series Pray First because we believe that prayer must be a priority. It has always been a priority in the lives of Christians. Prayer, a priority. Our small group Bible studies have been going through O'Hallisby's book on prayer. His book is simply entitled Prayer. Prayer. In chapter 3 of Hallisby's book, we learn about prayer as work. Prayer as work. Why would we think of prayer as work? Well, first of all, I, want, I don't want you to think of prayer as work, as something that you, that you have to do. But as something that you get to do. What's the difference between something you have to do and something you get to do? Well, my son Santana says when you have to do something, it sucks all of the fun out of it. <laughs> Isn't that true? When you have to do something, it sucks all the fun out of it. 
Whenever we talk about things that, that, we, that we do as Christians, don't think of it as something that you have to do. Think of it as something that you get to do. Because the gospel liberates us, it sets us free, and for us, those things that we're called to do in the scriptures are something that become our joy. It's, it, it, is, it is a thing of joy to do them. We get to do them because of what Christ has done for us and because of the fact that we have been liberated from sin. We have been set free. So pray first. It's something that you get to do. Prayer is work. It's something that you get to do. So what O'Hallisby says about prayer as work is this. The church has a mission. And we can't accomplish the mission without God. So church, that's why we pray first. We have been given a mission. And without God, we cannot accomplish the mission. We have a job to do that only God can accomplish. O'Hallisby wrote, when Jesus took leave of the 11 apostles at the ascension... He entrusted to them a superhuman task. Think of it. These ordinary people were called to go into all the world and to make disciples of all nations. They were to enter into uh, hostile territory, into Roman colonies to proclaim it in their own neighborhood and even in their own, their own neighbors, the religious leaders, the Jewish people did not want to hear this message. So the task of the church is a superhuman task and if we're going to be uh, in, involved in this task of going and making disciples, we need, we need the Lord Jesus Christ to give us his power to work through us in order to fulfill the great commission or the great task that is set before us. <clears throat> the mission hasn't changed. The same mission given to the early church is given to us. And the good news is, is the same power, the same power given to the early church has also been given to you. You have all that you need in your Savior Jesus Christ to be obedient to the task, to the mission which Christ has given. As I've read O'Hallisby's book, I've been struck by chapter 3 on prayer's work. God wants me to talk to my neighbor about Jesus. That's a hard thing to do. I can't do that effectively without God's power being made perfect in my weakness. So don't go out there and try to win the world for Jesus until you have prayed first until you have been filled with power from on high. So we need to be a church, we need to be individuals to say, God, I need you to fill me with your spirit for the mission today. Take me where you want me to go. Lord, bring me to the person that you want me to meet today. To wake up every day saying, God, I'm, I'm on mission with you. I am called to make disciples. So you lead me, you guide me, you give me the power that I need to meet the people that I need to meet so that with them I can share the love and the message of the gospel.
This seems to be the pattern given to us in the book of Acts. Today we go to Acts chapter 16. If you'd like to turn there in your Bibles, or if you have a mobile device that's equipped with a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 16, <coughs> verse 6. We'll also have it on the screen for you, too. So this, the pattern given to us in the book of Acts seems to be the pattern of, of a church dependent upon Christ in prayer and the Holy Spirit leading that church into mission. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So they, they went this direction, and they, they were stopped. Then they went the other direction, and they were stopped. They were prevented from going where they thought they should have gone. Doors begin to began to close upon them. Have you ever been disappointed by a closed door? A closed door. Sometimes when an opportunity closes, that's Jesus leading you. That's Jesus leading you. Sometimes it's painful to hear no, but that's Jesus leading you. When I was in seminary, I wanted to serve with a certain mission agency. I wanted to serve with a mission agency that sent missionaries into rural North America. I had this desire to revitalize churches in rural North America. So I applied for this mission agency. I was rejected. They wrote me a letter back. They said, sorry, uh, we believe that you're too Lutheran for us. And I said, well, you advertise yourselves as a non-denominational mission agency. I didn't think that being Lutheran was going to be a problem. That's when I learned that non-denominational is code for Baptist. It's code for Baptist. So they said, sorry, but you're, you're too Lutheran for us, so please seek ministry within Lutheranism. And I'm so glad I received that rejection letter. Because God had a plan and a purpose for us to go somewhere else. So for, for nine years, we served a rural congregation in western New York. And God did incredible things in that ministry. So sometimes the, the, the best answer is a closed door. Being moved in a, in a new direction, a, a different job, a different school, a different neighborhood. Not the place that you expected but something completely different. Sometimes these closed doors can be very painful. My wife and I, Katie, we couldn't conceive. We couldn't have any more children biologically. And that was a very painful thing. Anybody who has ever struggled with infertility knows the pain uh, of, that, of that whole, of that whole uh, thing. But God had, had other plans. It wasn't the plan that we envisioned but it was what God wanted for us in that. And now we have a beautiful family of four kids. One Lutheran commentator wrote that God guided Paul and his companions in unexpected directions. In unexpected directions. Our plans, our plans do not always proceed as hoped. How many of you can say amen to that? Our plans do not always proceed as hoped. Yet God directs us 
as his messengers to the people and places he would have us go. God's grace is not bound by our weakness, but serves his good purpose in Christ. So here are Paul and his companions. They thought they should go this way. Nope, that wasn't the direction. They thought then they should go this way. Nope, that wasn't the direction. God had something else in store for them. And they went through, again, and uh, back to Acts 16. <clears throat> and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And here's the reason. Here's the reason. They were directed in a, in a completely different way. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. If you're not familiar with the geography of the area, this is actually very significant. Crossing over from the area that they had been ministering into, into and into Macedonia was actually to cross from one continent to another continent. The Holy Spirit was saying it's time. It is time for the gospel to expand beyond the continent of Asia and to move into the continent of Europe. So the Macedonian call is the call of the Holy Spirit for the gospel to spread into Europe. Then verse 11 and following, verse 11 of chapter 16. What did God have in store for Paul and his companions? So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, get this, where we supposed there was a place of what? A place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the woman who had come to, to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. She worshiped the one true God, the God of the Old Testament, but she had never heard of Jesus. Look at what the Lord did. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. <clears throat> and after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. In the Greek, it's a better translation as she persuaded us. She persuaded us to stay at her house. What were they looking for? They were looking for a place of prayer. Remember the, the sermon series is entitled, Pray First. They were looking for a place of prayer, and at the place of prayer, they met the very person whom God wanted them to meet. I, I truly do believe that when we pray, we are led by God in the direction that he wants us to go in his mission. And when we don't pray, we may fail 
to be led where God wants us to go. There they, find, they found Lydia of Thyatira, a woman who, whose heart was ready for the gospel message of Jesus Christ. God wants us to pray first, because when we pray, our hearts are open. Our hearts become pliable to the mission of Jesus for our lives. Then we move on to verse 16 of chapter 16 of the book of Acts. As we were going to the place of prayer, where were they going? Once again, they were going where? To the place of prayer. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. This uh, spirit of divination brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. So she was possessed by an evil spirit. And the evil spirit gave her supernatural abilities as a fortune teller. And she followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very hour. Here we have God leading, leading once again. And as they were led, God brought them to a girl who needed deliverance. No doubt she was exploited due to her, her condition. And when, when Paul and, and uh, his companions performed the exorcism on her, it actually made her owners extremely angry. Her owners became angry. Let's see what happens next as we continue uh, our reading from Acts chapter 16. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they, had, when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews, and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or to practice. And then the crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore their garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Can this be God's plan too? Is this a part of God's will for Paul and his companions? How could it be God's plan for these godly preachers to be beaten with rods and then thrown into prison? with their feet shackled in the stocks. What horrific suffering. How could this be God's will? How could this be God's plan? I don't know about you, but if I was beaten with rods for preaching a sermon and thrown into prison, I would start to doubt God's plan for my life. I would wonder, really, is this really what you really want me to be a preacher? You really want me to, to proclaim the message of the gospel if this is what happens to me? 
Did you know that God will never waste a painful experience? God has plans and purposes, even in the pain and suffering that we experience in life. Oftentimes we won't fully understand why we walk through painful times in this life. We won't understand until we see Jesus face to face. At other times, God pur God's purpose behind the pain is made obvious to us. And it was made obvious to Paul and his companions in Acts chapter 17, 16. So let's keep reading Acts 16. How did Paul and his companions respond to their painful situation? Acts 16, 25. Remember, they had been beaten and their feet had been placed in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were doing what? Did you know that oftentimes our, our painful experiences in life lead us into, into much deeper and more profound prayer? About midnight, Paul and Silas were doing what? They were praying and they were singing hymns to God, praying and worshiping the Lord. And who was listening? The prisoners were listening to them. And then what happened? All of a sudden, there was an earthquake. The foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Supernatural deliverance. When the jailer awoke, he saw that the prison doors were open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself. He knew that if he lost these prisoners, that, that uh, an instant death by suicide would have been better than what he would have had to have faced by his superiors. So he's about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But, but Paul, he cried out in a loud voice. He says, do not harm yourselves, for we're all here. The jailer called for lights. Now remember, this is ancient Rome. They didn't have a light switch. Called for lights, bringing the torches in rushed in, and here the jailer, trembling with fear, fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? It's a purpose. There is a purpose behind everything that happened to them. The good things, the beautiful things, and the terrible and ugly things. And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. And that is the gospel in a nutshell. How was a person saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family, then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. That he had believed. God had a purpose and a plan, even in the pain. Paul and his companions, uh, they, they didn't pray for a beating. They didn't pray for, for imprisonment. We should never pray for suffering to come into our lives. But when it does come into our lives, we can know that God has a plan in it. 
God's plan is always to, to display his omnipotent glory and to bring salvation into our world. God has plans. God has purposes. Then God accomplishes great things. When we, when we are, are open to him, when we have this heart that says, Lord, whatever you want, I simply desire in my life that you would be glorified and that you would lead me to those people, to those places, and to those situations that you want me to, uh, to be in for your glory, for your honor, and ultimately for people to come to know you as Savior. And that's when God accomplishes great things through the ministry of the church. When the church prays, the church becomes pliable to the leading of God and to the ministry of God. When, when you pray, you become pliable to God's plans and purposes for your life. This is how church revitalization begins. Church revitalization is nothing new. The church always needs to go through a process of, of revitalization. As individuals, we, we need to go through that process of spiritual revitalization. Pray first is nothing new. And when we pray, we're brought back to the very basics of who we are and of what we're called to do as disciples of Jesus Christ. Or the church is brought back to the place where it, where it uh, once again is revitalized in the purpose for which Christ created the church. So to be revitalized is simply to go back to the basics, to understand once again what has Christ called us to do. And then to be filled with his spirit Understanding, wow, we get to participate with Jesus in his mission. What does it mean to be the church? It means that we gather. We gather around the ordinary ministry of word and sacraments. So the church is the gathering of believers and there Christ is with us. And he ministers to us through the word and the sacraments. He fills us with his means of grace and in the means of grace, we hear repeatedly the promise of the gospel as the preacher's word pass from our ears into our heart. We hear this word, you are loved and you are forgiven in Christ Jesus. As we partake of the bread and the cup, we hear repeatedly the gospel that Paul proclaimed to the Philippian jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Sometimes we have to take that word of grace and forgiveness, put it in our mouth and taste it. Know that it's for us and that it's real. So when we gather, we hear the gospel. And by hearing, we believe the gospel. And when we believe the gospel, we're filled with the Spirit. And when we're filled with the Spirit, we cannot help but pray and go. Pray and go. So our revitalization as a church starts with the gather. We gather where the word is preached and the sacraments are administered. 
And in this ordinary service, very ordinary service, God's power is unleashed to create and to sustain faith and mission, our mission as disciples. So our revitalization as a, as a church starts with the gather. We gather where Christ promises to be present. And this brings the transform. So we gather, transform, and as we are transformed into the people that Christ wants us to be, we, we, we become free to obey God. We obey God not out of fear to appease him, but we obey in the freedom of the gospel. It's not something that we have to do. It's something that we get to do. It is our joy to live in obedience to what Christ has given to us. When you have to do something, when you have to do something, it drains all the fun out of it. But when you get to do something, it is a joy. It is a privilege. So we get to go. We get to gather. We get to be transformed. And then we get to go. We go to others. We get to pray first. We get to live as servants of Jesus. We get to live as disciples of Jesus. These things aren't the have-tos. They're the, I get to. I get to do these things. Gather, transform, and go. Bottom line, it's all done by Jesus. That's why we pray first. It's all done by Jesus. Only Jesus can gather us together. That's why you're here today. You are here today because Jesus, by his spirit, brought you here for a purpose. So Jesus gathers us, Jesus transforms us, and then Jesus moves us to go. If it was up to me, I would never be able to do it. I would never be able to participate in this great adventure of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. In and of myself, I don't have what it takes. I am weak, but he is strong. And that's, that church is why we pray first. We pray first because we desire for him to do these things in our lives. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather today. We thank you for your presence among us. We thank you that you are here now to serve us. We have read your word. We have sung the truths of your word. We have heard your word proclaimed. Now I ask, Heavenly Father, that it would pass from our ear and into our heart and out of our lives and into this world. And as the service continues, we have opportunity to pray for those in need. And then you give us this great gift of coming to the altar. And at the altar, we receive from you grace and mercy, your body which was broken for us, and your blood which was shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins. Lord, we need your grace today, and that's why we come to this altar. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.